he's talking to people who think that they are God's people, who are not God's people. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Yes. And Eric. Hey, Matt. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Hey, we hit a couple of milestones this week in the podcast. Not only was this the two-year, well, earlier this week was the two-year anniversary of our first recording, but today marks episode number 100. Yay. Nice. That's <laughs> that's something. That is there's something. Currently con- there's currently confetti blasting out of my laptop in celebration of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it really kind of is because I read somewhere that most podcasts don't make it past 10 episodes. People either lose interest or audiences lose interest or something. I don't know, but that's typically the case is most, most podcasts don't make it very long. And we've got 100. We've got two years and 100 episodes. And uh, that's that's pretty awesome. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm on episode 99. Well, yeah, you started a little late. I don't remember exactly when you came in, but uh, I still count you in there, though, Tracy. <laughs> um, I was I was going to wonder out loud whether our 100 episodes is a reflection of our dedication or our lack of other interests in life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that was it. You know, I was kind of wondering, too. It's like, OK, is this uh, because we're dedicated, because we're stubborn or <laughs> because we're led? <laughs> and uh but uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't intend to quit anytime soon. So uh, it is pretty awesome. But you know, on on that note, though, I mean, we think two years and a hundred episodes. It's like thinking back. Uh, just curious if you wanted to briefly talk about, you know, what insights you've gotten fresh and new uh, by doing this for two years and a hundred episodes. I didn't give you guys any warning on that. I'm just like I'm, hit, I'm smacking you in the face with it here right now. But um, I mean, you I know, know there's been. Go ahead, Every Trace. time that we jump in is something fresh and something new that, you know what, I didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that we have three other individuals, you know, not including myself, but when we're able to come together and, and talk about, you know, what we've found that's been, you know, new wonders in the Bible. I think that's what makes it real and exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm finding it amazing. Even like this week's reading too, there were things I was like, how did I never notice that before? You know, and we'll get to some of those. But, yeah. Um, and I think, I think that each time I read through the Bible, it's, first of all, I think it's good to just read through the Bible chronologically. Like I like how we're doing this because when you read it chronologically, to me at least watching the gospel unfold in the order it happened is different than spot reading it. Mm -hmm. Like the sermon this week is about, and therefore this is what we're reading, right? That's, that's certainly one approach and a topical approach like that can be a good thing. But a chronological approach is I'm continually impressed with the consistency of God and the inconsistency of, of mankind. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Getting to understand things, as they would have understood them at the time and the building on top of 
other things and and uh, it really does sort of make me wonder why i mean i guess i i know why the bible was compiled the way it was kind of topically you know you have your you have your books of the law you have your wisdom books you have your gospels you have your you know letters and that kind of thing and they're all kind of just lumped together that way but i think i think you really lose something if you just try to if you try to read the bible cover to cover i think you lose something uh, and if you, like you said, you spot read, pick things out here and there, read a chapter here, read a verse here. Um, and that's you, good you, for developing a theme. Like, what does yeah. the Bible say about this or that? Right. But then mm-hmm. like this is just I don't know if anybody's ever read it, but there's a chronological paraphrase of the Bible called the Book of God that mm-hmm. I read a number of years ago. I still lived in Alaska, actually. And that really opened my eyes to the large-scale overview flow of the gospel. And now, you know, now we're doing it not not in paraphrase novel form, but in actual translation form. And I'm noticing over and over and over again, it's like I called in, I, I called humans inconsistent, and that's true within the relationship with God. But within that, boy, we're consistent at being inconsistent, you know. Mm. And, you know, we read, we're reading these old things that happened in, um, you know, the year 712 is where we're at right now. And it's like, could things be any more applicable to the, where the world's at now? Yeah. Like, you know, Solomon wasn't joking when he said there's nothing new under the sun. Like, human nature is amazing in its fallen state and not in a good way. Yeah, it is fascinating the way the themes of so many years ago still apply. I mean, we're talking, what, 3,000-ish years ago plus, and and uh, we're, we still recognize ourselves in in it, and we still recognize our society in it, and and... Yeah, I guess there's different window dressing on it, but but uh, we're we're just like them in so many ways. We're just like them. It's fascinating, and I, you know, I've really been fascinating. It's fascinated at seeing how consistent God is in trying to get us back, pull back, pull us back, pull us back all the time. A lot of society has a concept of of a. Uh, of an angry Old Testament God and a loving New Testament God, uh, like like as if Jesus came in and took over <laughs> from the Father and said, "I got it from here on out. You you just go relax, you know." And and we're seeing that no, they were it was all the same, it was all the same God all the way through, and He's been consistent from the very beginning. And and the, the biggest message of the Bible has always been return come back come back to me i love you come back and uh, uh that's that's really that's really been the fascinating part of it to me we are going to finish the book of isaiah today which is uh chapters 64 through 66 we're going to start there and if we and uh, we, we may get into some uh, other stuff beyond that get into uh so a couple of other kings here but uh, chapter 64, it actually starts, it's a continuation of kind of where we left off last week, where there was a prayer of penitence being made. And this is after all of the warnings that Isaiah has been giving, given, and then all the promises of salvation and redemption that God has been giving. Uh, now we are into this prayer of penitence. Um, 
don't know. Was there anything that stood out specifically to any of you in any of that prayer, even backing up into chapter 63 a bit? Well, if it's a serious thing, I mean, if it's if it's done seriously, because the problem with Israel then, and I think humanity now, is that um, there's kind of a, a, a lip service mm. and not really an understanding of, of what's going on and what's at stake. There's there's always a level of religiousness, like uh, here in Isaiah, the uh, Israelites are always doing something as far as worship is concerned, but very often it's not the right thing, and it's not from the heart, and it's not just the, if it's from the heart, because there are specific things that God asked them to do and not to do, and it, just being doing the wrong thing with a full heart is, is not okay. But the, the context of, of where they are, and here's a verse that gets quoted um, some, and I and I think it has um, relevance, is, is Isaiah 64, 6. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Idea being here that we can't ever, and this is interesting, this is an Old Testament quote, don't forget this, the idea that you can't earn your salvation by behavior. Mm-hmm. This is Old Testament, and this is the, this is the very thing Many people try to pin on the Old Testament, like, well, in the Old Testament, it was just, you know, you just, you worked your way to salvation by keeping the commandments, and it's grace later. Well, right here, Isaiah is just flat out saying, the best you have to offer is, it's dirty, dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. When it comes to your righteousness, which means that there's only one way of salvation, and that is through God's grace. That's Old Testament. It's right here in Isaiah. And... I can't help but think of in verse 8. Um, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And this is, this flashes forward again to Revelation. There's the three angels' messages in uh, in Revelation 14. And the first one is to acknowledge that we are created, that we have a creator. And so this is, the more I read Isaiah, the more I realize, wow, this is super relevant to where we are right now in in space and time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that you pointed out, you know, if this is sincere, because as as you're as we're reading through it, there you know, there's a lot of talk about his desire to see God in action. Um, you know, some lip service about, oh, nobody's ever seen another God like this. Um, yeah, and stuff like that. And so it is a it is a good question of whether or not it's sincere. You know, I was thinking the same thing, and that's what I had written down here, is that, you know what, we've heard similar prayers before, because they go down the list of mountain shake at your presence, water boils, you know, they've always given that. And that's the first thing I wrote down, too, is lip service, is, you know, that they have these great things of, you know, everything God can do, and if he becomes angry and becoming you know, getting back on track with him, but they never tend to stay there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I got from this too. It's like, you know, we've been down this road before mm-hmm. and you know what you need to do, but the the million dollar question is, are you going to do it? I liked the, I liked how this chapter seemed so relevant to us today. So yeah. on the downside, that means that human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. And that, and that means we're not improving as time goes by. So, 
Sorry about that, God. We're kind of creatures of habit here. But on the other hand, like, is this not the modern cry of every Christian? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known to your enemies, cause the nations to quake before you, right? Mm -hmm. The worse the world gets, the more I think of the verse, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Like, man, just... I look around and I and it just seems like every thought of man's heart is only evil continually. And I'm just like, yep. God, show up. Let everybody know who you are. Make a statement. Make a presence. Come on. You know what I mean? And I, it's just like I started reading this and I was like, huh, that's pretty much where my head lives all the time nowadays. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the case where Karen went, where she pulled that um that thought that, you know, the, the thoughts of men were only evil all the time. That references um, Noah. <clears throat> that was, those are the words that um, were used both in Genesis and by Jesus to describe that. And the reason that's super relevant is because Jesus says that's how it will be before his coming. Mm-hmm. So the idea that this is just like, oh, well, that was an Old Testament thing. That was a bad, no, this has absolute relevance to us right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we happen to be reading through the story of Noah right now for, for family worship. That's why that one was like super vivid to me is that being in the ark and well, before being in the ark was um, was building the ark, was doing what God asked to do, which let's just admit this was not received with popular acclaim. Right. It just wasn't. And they did it anyways. And they got in the ark and they rode through the storm because when God did show up, it was pretty terrifying to everyone, even those being saved. It's interesting to put these things in context. And and I guess as we read through, as I read through this, I can't help but flash forward and backward and, and see that this fits into a context. It's not just picking a, like I had heard this Isaiah 64, 6, you know, all righteousness is like filthy rags, blah, blah, blah. It's King James many times. But the context of what that really meant in Isaiah and the people of Israel wasn't quite as fully rounded out as I think I'm seeing now. Yeah, for sure. But like I work, I work in community mental health and like my entire day is made up of the fallout from sin. Mm. Our clients are our clients because sin has had its way with the world. They didn't, they didn't choose that. They are all dealing with things that were handed to them through the fallout of sin as the world rolls on. And all I can think is, like, how many times have I been sitting there and I'll leave a client's apartment or something and I'll just be like, God, show up. Mm. Show up. This place is broken. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thinking about that, like we're talking about this, whether or not this is in a, in a sincere terms um, in your line of work there, Karen, do you find a lot of people given that kind of lip service thinking, you know, they say the things that they know that maybe they know you want to hear or maybe that, um, you know, the, it's almost like you listen to them and you know that they know what's right, but yet 
but yet they still turn around because that's kind of what seems like maybe happening with Israel here. I'm not exactly sure who is giving this prayer, if it's Isaiah praying on behalf of Israel or if it's like the Israelites themselves. But we know that, okay, they're saying this stuff, but obviously they, they turn around, they still have having to get carried off by Babylon. So um, I don't know. Do you, do you see that kind of happening? I don't see any, <clears throat> I don't see necessarily any greater awareness of it out here than I do anyplace else. Mm -hmm. I think I just happen to work yeah. in an atmosphere where this is prevalent. Yeah. Like, I, I think that if I were to go back to Colorado right now and get a job doing exactly what I'm doing here, I would find the exact same thing. Oh, sure. So it's a, it's a shift in my awareness. I don't think it's necessarily a shift in humanity. Yeah. No, and I don't think it's a regional thing, but I do. I just, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen examples of people kind of doing this thing. It's like where they, they'll say the thing that they know you want to hear when you're trying to, uh, you know, you're talking about correcting behavior, and and. Um, oh, you're talking about from the clientele itself. Yeah. No, yeah, they're not, not even self-aware enough. They are not okay. self-aware enough. Every single person, even to be a client for what I do, has to have a severe okay. mental illness or two or three or whatever. They are not even aware enough or only in moments to okay. think to themselves in the bigger picture, this is what is happening. And if I shift within that, I can make this small difference for myself. They okay. don't even have that perspective. They are so limited by whatever has gone wrong in their head. They're so limited. And these, these are like straight up biological malfunctions. Yeah. And it is a horrid daily reminder of how, powerful the effects of sin are yeah okay well that does put a different perspective on it in my well a slightly different skew anyway here where because i think we've all known and maybe we've seen it like in our children where your children are are fully aware of what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to act yeah. and and when you start talking corrective they start saying all this stuff that makes it sound like they understood and you know they understood um, but is it really going to bring a, a change in behavior? Sometimes you could tell it's not gonna, you know what I mean? That's pretty much a perfect segue into 65 if we're ready to go there. Yeah, sure. We can go there. Because 65 verses three through five and 11 through 12 is exactly what you're talking about is these people are in two. I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices, which goes all the way back to all the way back to the very, very beginning of the story in Genesis. They're still doing what they want to do. And it is, God says, you know, people who provoke me to my face continually, keep in mind here is that they're making offering, they're sacrificing. It says right here, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. But then the things that they do in parallel with this, or the way in which they make their offerings, answers the question Tracy was asking earlier too, and well, all of us are, is how genuine is this? Well, their behavior tells us that it's not. Because with their words, they're saying one thing, but then with their behavior, they're doing something very different, and their behavior is doing something pretty much opposite of what God has asked them to do. Mm -hmm. Somebody's doing construction. <laughs> yeah, who's, who's building was, a house in the background there? My thing was oh. that it just feels like we've heard this before, repeatedly. When, mm -hmm. you know, when going through, you know, across the desert, leaving Egypt, we've heard this. When they made the, you know, the the golden calf, 
we heard this when they came back. And it's just like, okay, I just don't feel that they're going to get it at this point. Yeah. Or they're not getting it. Right. You're right. I mean, it's Cain and Abel. I mean, Cain was offering a sacrifice, just not what he was asked to do. Yeah. Um, the In verse 5, it gives the contrast between their behavior and how they view themselves. So here, here's this whole list of things that it, these people are doing to provoke God's anger continually to his face. And yet those same people are saying, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. Right? Like mm-hmm. this is straight up Pharisee and tax collector. I'm special. I was called by God. I am a child of you know what I mean? Like they're living in that feeling that they're special in that covenant that God made with Abraham and not even stopping to think that their actions are going completely against that. And God's response to that is these are smoke in my nostrils. Yeah, even 65, it opens up, interestingly. Uh, he said a f- couple of phrases here that I you know, have, was trying to wrap my brain around a bit. I, sought, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was, I was, I don't know, I was struggling a little bit with that, but maybe like we're talking about in the terms of sincerity, when he says I was sought by those who did not ask for me, it's kind of like, well, you were looking, but were you really looking? I'm not exactly sure about the finding part. Yeah, I was, of course, I had marked that too. And I wondered if that meant that, and I, I don't know, but maybe God was saying, you know, it's not all about you, Israel. Like, mm. I'm available to other people also. I don't know if that's the correct reading of that, but... I'm entirely sure, but... That too. Yeah, I mean, the part that really, was, I think, probably was the most important part, though, was God saying, here I am. Here I am. You know, if you're if you're looking, he's there. He's not going to hide from you. He's... Uh, <laughs> that's... I mean, that's been the, the, the narrative, basically, what we've been reading here for a long time, is God constantly trying to help us find him when we've turned away and he's just standing right there and here i am here i am and i mean that could almost be like the whole that could almost be a one page book you know that could be scripture where god's saying here i am in a book you know and and if you had the the wherewithal to to look into the depths of that of god saying here i am um, that would almost be all you'd really need. But um, yeah, he just, it's a reminder here that he's continually reached out to people that have rejected him and they can, but they continue to act out against him. And I mean, I guess maybe that's kind of the really sad part here of all this that we've seen with Isaiah, with the warnings and, and the promises. And yet the people, the people still just don't, uh, they, they, they just don't respond in the way that you would think. Well, and it reminds me of that passage in Amos where with the, that we've read that God says, I hate your, I hate your worship services. I hate your sacrifices. I hate your songs of praise, right? This is why, this is why this goes down to the very heart of it. And what exactly what Eric and Tracy were saying back at the beginning, like it gets down to human sincerity. Do you mean it or do you not? Does it make a difference in how you act or does it not? Yeah, because that's where real conversion happens. Real repentance is, to, you know, it's not just uh, not just saying I'm sorry. It's it's actually turning and changing and and making some effort. And and I mean, grant, you know, the salvation comes through God, but 
there's some effort on our part to to actually make a change and do something different with with our lives. You know, God is talking here about how iniquities will be repaid. Eventually, rebellion will bring on consequences. But uh, in verse eight, he was talking about how he won't destroy everyone because there's still some who are a blessing. And that kind of reminded me of uh, Lot in Sodom. You know, he was willing, he was willing to not, uh, not destroy that city if they could find what, how many was it? I mean, it was a, a, a handful and they couldn't like, even. I think they got down to five or five. something. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, they couldn't even hardly find, they couldn't even find that. So, but you know, he did hold off so that Lot and his family could get out of Sodom. And, it, you know, even in that story, it seems to me that God even maybe saved a few more from Sodom than um, what he had initially, the way he had initially talked about, because, you know, even Lot's own wife turned around and and, and uh, ended up being turned into a pillar of salt. So, I mean, just God's mercies of trying to get people away from things before they destroy them. I mean, that's been sort of a little, uh, uh, kind of a recurring theme for us too. Of get away, you know, get away from things before they destroy you. And, uh, and so here it's like, he's, he's going to give a little bit of leeway here. Um, cause he could just come in and wipe out, wipe out everything, but he doesn't want to do that because there's stump, still some people, there's still a few that, that are making an effort and trying to do the right thing. Man, does any is anybody else thinking of that text in Peter? The Lord is not slow as some count slowness, mm. but rather is patient. Yeah. Wishing that all would come to repentance. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that definitely I want to get to that because boy, I think one of the most incredible stories of grace and forgiveness is towards the end of our reading today, which is actually so dramatic and it actually made me mad for many 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 years <laughs> but the, we'll get to that but yes so there's more in 65 where god is saying it's the same thing we've been hearing about over and over and over again is you guys keep saying you're going to turn to me but you keep doing worship your own way and it will go badly for you it's just a lot of it um mm-hmm. Right at the end of twelve, when I when I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. You know, it's just it's the story of over and over. They keep doing this, and then there's more of uh, of that same thing poetically said again mm-hmm. and again. Part of the really nice part about this, though, is that uh, let's see, I think it was verse sixteen. He says. Former troubles are forgotten, and because and they're hidden from God's eyes, where He doesn't hold it against us forever. You know, of course, this is after talking about people who do turn. You now, if you turn to God, if you try to follow Him and and, and do His ways, that He's not going to hold those things of your past against you. Not meaning that you don't have to uh, deal with some consequences here and now, but Ultimately speaking, God's not going to hold those things against you. Well, that's a that 16 is a really that's kind of the signpost in the road that we're just about to take a really hard corner here in the mm-hmm. text. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Because, yeah, yeah, it goes from from all this judgment and, and uh, you know, the 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 repayment of iniquities and this and that to 
like you say, like a hard right turn into new creation. But yeah, it's it's right. I mean, where we are in 17 and 18 is shows up again in Revelation 21. Um, for 21, one, and uh, also Revelation 22. And again, this this text, I mean, it, it paints some beautiful pictures of the future. But also poetically, we kind of flash in and out of exactly what is happening here, because there's there's the, you know, for context of our listeners, if you're not looking at it, which you should, Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, which is literally the, the recreation of, um, of, of creation. And there will be in uh, nineteen. There will be um, there shall be heard. No more shall be heard in it. That's this new creation. The sound of weeping. Okay, cool. So it's like this is a brand new everything. And then poetically, this is this kind of an interesting bump in the road, uh, where it says you know no more shall be in it an infant who lives only but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days, for the young man shall die at 100 years old. I'm like, wait a minute, who's dying in this new creation? Mm. Personally, I think that's just a poetic way to say. It's like, man, if somebody dies at 100 year old, they'd be like, oh, that's like infant mortality. Which, in my understanding of Isaiah and um, Thessalonians and Revelation, is that at Christ's coming, both the living and the righteous dead who are raised will at that time put on immortality. So it's just a really interesting picture of this whole recreation thing. And then to, to Karen's point is that what we keep saying, the cry of our heart, uh, 24 pretty much just spells it out for me. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Yeah, this is this is like a big description of what... I'll call mainstream Christianity thinks of as heaven with a capital H, you know, where the good people go, if you will, which is a very simplified way of saying that. But um, the interesting part of this to me is when this takes place, when this paradise is made for people to live in, it seems to be down the future, certainly down the future from when Isaiah is writing this. And it's a physical place. It's like a literal recreation of the planet Earth. And it would even seem to be, I mean, it says the heavens, uh, small h. Uh, you know, I, I've wondered oftentimes of like, is he like doing a total redo, a complete start over? It seems he, like it because New Testament things say that the elements will melt. Yeah. Yeah. With, with the fervent heat. I mean, there, that's not like a kind of like a, I mean, I'm sitting in a place here that I'm work, we're working on some renovations. We're putting up some new pictures. We may put up some cabinetry and stuff like that eventually, right? That's a renovation. What God's talking about here is not a renovation. He's talking about burning it down to the, <laughs> to the level of yeah. atoms and then recreating it. That's different than, hey, let's change the color of paint. Yeah, so it's a little fascinating to me because, you know, we think of, or I mean, it's my understanding, my belief that, our planet Earth is the only world that has fallen from sin. But if God has to recreate like everything, uh, is that sort of an indication that even our sin on our little tiny blue speck 
of the cosmos um, still has an effect. Even if the other worlds haven't fallen, even if they aren't sinful, is it is sin so uh, destructive then that God just has to start over with everything? I don't know. That's just a, it's a it's a deep, deep, fascinating subject and concept of of recreating the heavens. I mean, Earth, I get Earth, I get needs it badly, you know, <laughs> clean it with burn it with fire, you know, as we say. And and uh, <laughs> and, and um, I think uh, when we're dealing with poetry here, we need to be careful yeah. about oh, not yeah. going yeah. No, I'm I'm in total speculation mode with that. So yeah, no uh, fair, and, and then I get that because there's a lot of things in here that are kind of like so say what because it says in 25 the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and it's kind of hard for me to get my head around that in a literal way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm. But I have I great visuals of the teeth required to do that. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's a pretty hilarious picture. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, but this uh, idea of a whole new creation is is fascinating. And we get a little glimpse of it here. And yeah, we get way more of it. We get more of it in Revelation. But it's, I don't know, it's just such a, the, the story of, of the new Jerusalem and the new earth and all that stuff is sometimes you can get talking about that and you can just go on and on and on with the speculation and the wonder, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to smell like? You know, how is it going to feel on your skin? I mean, uh, what is a world that has been made completely devoid of sin feel like? Will there, will there be snow? Will, Will there be, you know, I mean, there's some parts of Revelation that talk about there not being any more seas. And I'm like, but I really like whales and dolphins, you know, and you know, it's not like a, it's not like you're going to be disappointed, I know. But it's just a, such a matter of what's it going to be like? Well, I think to that, I mean, and it's it's I think it's worthwhile thinking about those things. But the real reward of heaven, I did a presentation recently about this, is that um, the real reward is. Relationship. Is yes. it is it's Jesus saying, you know, and so, you know, in, I think it's in Thessalonians, and so shall they ever be with the Lord. Like, that is the reward. And as far as the creation goes, I think it's going to be way, I, mean, I think we read it already in Isaiah, I bet Karen knows where it's at, where it says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not yours, my mm-hmm. ideas are just way above what you can even imagine. 55, yeah. Yeah, and it reminds me of, I, I heard... I don't know what it's called, but I heard after the movie Avatar came out, there were people who would be sad, didn't even want to leave the theater. And there was almost a name that came up for it. People were so sad and bummed that they had to leave that imaginary, beautiful world and come out into our real world. Hmm. And I think if if a, if a if a movie writer can think of a world so amazing that it makes people sad to leave it in imagination, mm-hmm. what God can do is... I mean, I think, for example, the phosphorescent ocean in in uh, Puerto Rico, where you know you run your hand through it and like the water glows, that blows my mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's just like so many amazing things that that the that the physicality of it. And I think back to your point, Matt, too, is that this isn't about we'll be little cherubs playing miniature harps on little tiny clouds. That's silly. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Adam and Eve were given a real garden with real things, with real food, with real soil, and they were supposed to. This is paradise, remember, before sin. They were supposed to be managers of this. And, and when work he it. says, I'm going to recreate something, I don't imagine he's going to say, ah, I'm going to do something totally like <clears throat> metaphorical here for you. Yeah. There's going to be a real thing, a real place, a new heavens, low, small age, big age. I don't know. There's there's more of that than we just haven't been told. And he mm-hmm. basically just says, trust me, it'll be amazing. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, in, in you know, moving to Isaiah 66, because in there, also 66.22, for as, for as the new heavens and new earth will I make shall remain before me. It sounds very physical. There are real things that we do in this new heaven. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, if we're ready to move into 66 then. Yes. It starts, it starts right off. Heaven and earth are God's throne and footstool. And it's put in the context of what can you offer God? What could you possibly give God that would impress him? What would you give him that uh, would, would make him be like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cool. You know, we're still, as we're recording, we're still coming up on Christmas. We've got a couple weeks to go here. And, uh, you know, we always hope that we can give somebody that gift that they'll open it up and be like, oh, wow. You know, maybe they didn't even think about it or something they really wanted. And God is like, yeah, there is something here. We'll get to that here in a minute. But it's like, it's going to be pretty tough. It reminded me of when when Jesus went and met what do they call it? The Mount of Transfiguration or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. where he takes Peter, James and John and he goes up and he and he prays and he meets Moses and Elijah. And Peter immediately says, we should build them tabernacles. Mm-hmm. We should we should build them tabernacles like these men descended from heaven for a few minutes to meet with Jesus. And Peter's yeah. like, dude, we can make you a hut. Look, there's some trees, you know, <laughs> the best of intentions. I get it. The best of intentions open mouth, insert foot when you put our human standards of awesome over somebody who just walked out of heaven's gates, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's, 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 it's cute, but it's cute the way a toddler bringing you a crumpled up dandelion is cute. Oh, mm. that's sweet. You tried. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you can think of the times too in the in the gift giving genre here of when you have given somebody something and they're just being polite, you know. Oh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> you, you, you really shouldn't have. No, seriously. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and that's sort of like what God is saying here. But where he gets around to is, you know, there is something you could give me that really would impress me that I really would love to have. And he says it's a person with a poor and contrite spirit who trembles at his word. Basically, somebody who just puts themselves in his hands. I mean, it's it's you. You yeah. are the thing that you can give to God that would actually be something he would want and be happy with. Yeah. I When I read that verse, the first thing that went through my mind is... And this sounds like a firm parental statement, and it and it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. It's more a statement of love, because the first thing that went through my mind when I read that text was, he wants somebody who knows their place, right? Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, like, I, I, I don't have this. Here, can I crawl into your palm? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and just trusts that God wants them there. Yeah. It's the Sermon on the Mount. That's who Jesus says are the ones who get the blessings. Yeah. You got to when you when you when you realize that you aren't all that when you're not. You know, you're not the cream of the crop. You're not the cat's meow. I mean, what other what other uh, 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 phrases can I use there to 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 make it clear? If we if we're if we place ourselves in God's hands and just be like, God, I am what I am. I know I'm not much, but um, here, here you go. God is actually like, hey, thank you, thank you. This is what I have wanted for so long, and it's- and. Ah, uh, you know, it's uh, it is when it, it's like when your child opens up that gift and you got them the thing that they really wanted, and and uh, uh, and uh, you know, we're the Red Rider BB gun. <laughs> yeah, this is this is perfectly illustrated in Jesus' um, contrast of the publican's prayer and the the prayer of the righteous person, the one who says, "Oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like that person." versus the other person who says, oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm not that great. And Jesus says, yeah, one of these one of these went home forgiven. Yep. Good stuff. Yep. Well, it says that thoughtless and vain sacrifices will be answered with delusions and fears. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sticking with this gift giving thing it, that that that's like, you know, you know, the uh, people who are just going through the motions. That's like the guy who runs out on Christmas Eve and gets his wife a gift card. <laughs> you know, Careful not enough. really, no real, no real thought put into it. No, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I know I need to do something here. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to like make next to no effort at all. But, well, you know, I'm going to contrast gonna... that and say okay. in, in verse three here, God says all kinds of things that are not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're, if you're offering sacrifices, whatever they are, but you're doing it your own way. This is in three. It's the end of verse three. They have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. Anything that we do, even if we think it's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be cool. It's like Abel's sacrifice, right? He he offered what he thought was awesome. But mm-hmm. the sacrifice for sins isn't fruits and vegetables. It's a lamb. Yeah, It just is. And it's because God picked it, because it's symbolic, because it's blood, because without the, you know, shedding of sin, there's, uh, I'm sorry, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's God's way. That's like how it works. And whatever we come up mm-hmm. with, whether in here it's uh, grain offerings or offering frankincense or an ox or even a lamb, if we do it in our own way and it's not God's way, it is so not okay with God. Says something here about how did this put this verse five? The people are going to say, "Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy." That almost, to me, that almost sounded like it was being said ironically, like, yes. um, you know, sort of in the vein of when Jesus is on the cross. Well, why don't you come down, or why don't you a little bit like when Sennacherib was outside the gates? You know, oh hey, is your God going to save you? You know, um, it seemed like here, like it was maybe said a little ironically of people. People, you know, mocking, I guess. It is. I think um, you're right. Yeah. Because it says they'll be ashamed. They're going to say this, but then they're going to be ashamed. And I guess because someday they will see it happen. And then they'll get put in their place when it actually does come true. And they'll be like, oh, oh, wow. 
uh, I had that one wrong, and uh, and it'll be it'll be not a great day for them. What did verse seven and eight mean? Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. First of all, I'm not entirely sure who we're talking about because it's uh, I don't know. I was a little confused on that one. Are we talking about Jerusalem? Are we talking about the church? Are we talking about something completely different? I thought it was Jerusalem because that's what they were talking about. Yeah. Hear the uproar from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Yeah, I agree with Karen. I think it's it's about the the satisfaction uh, in verse 11 that we will have Uh, during when God accomplishes all of these things. It's, It's a lot of metaphors. It's kind of, I think also... I can't say this is a straight up interpretation of it, but God, Jesus talks a lot about his coming being a surprise to people, mm-hmm. or at least the timing of it. And this one kind of paints a picture of like, oh, you did not expect it to be when it happened. Yeah. And I right. think it's safe to say from what we've read so far in the Old Testament, when God shows up and does things, it very rarely is exactly when and how everyone expected it to happen. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, in the context of of all that's going on, and we were just talking New Earth stuff and and uh, this vindication of God. So, so God's people, and I suppose in this case Jerusalem, sort of receiving uh, the reward before they really um, really had to work for anything on it. It's a, uh, I don't know. I, I it's sort of in my brain, but. Um, Okay, so <laughs> it's sort of there. I don't know. Okay, no. uh, I think it's. I think too. I, I marked it from nine, nine to sixteen. Is basically God saying, "Look, eventually these things will happen." Mm-hmm. It's, and I think we run a little bit of risk in trying to read into exactly in what way that means and what line means exactly what thing, and we tie it to headlines. I think that's a risky proposition. But um, he's saying, essentially, this is, this is something that will happen. And because I've been reading the story of Noah and the judgment on earth at that time, and contrasting this because, well, it says in 15, For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. By fire, the Lord will enter into judgment. I forget which New Testament writer says this. Mm, I just forget. It says, you know, the, the, the old world was destroyed by water, but the current creation is being held basically on layaway for destruction by fire. Mm-hmm. And this is a pointing toward what New Testament authors have said apocalyptically is going to happen. Mm hmm. Well, yeah. So, yeah, like verse nine, he says, I mean, the wording he uses, shall I cause, um, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery? So, you know, this is, it's like God saying, I'm not going to take you right, right up to it and then not do it. Right. I'm, I'm going, you know, we're going to, we're going to have this baby because, because, uh, you know, this is part of the promises. I've said I'm going to do it. And I guess this is sort of things we've said before, where God says, I said I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it. And you can believe that because, because you know, why would I Why would I take you that far 
and then not carry through. And then he's talked about rejoicing in the things that are to come. And so that's a promise for us, too, I think, especially after just talking this new earth stuff. Rejoice about what's going to happen. Because like Karen has said, we're all going, oh, God, could you just come now? Could you just, you know, and, uh, you know, is he going to come tomorrow? I don't know. My my personal guess is probably not. We're probably going to see things get worse over the years. But <laughs> will it be years? Will it be months? I don't know. But the point is that, yes, things kind of stink right now, but there is so much better coming and we can't even comprehend what that's going to be. Uh, and it's amazing and it's pretty fascinating. You get into verse 14 and it's talking about how God will have vindication against his enemies. So basically it's for us. It's like, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God's going to have this handled. Yes, I know. Yes, we've had people talking against God and 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 uh, and yes, it's affecting you. But don't worry about it. God's got this handled. He will take care of that. Those who sanctify themselves for idolatry and bad practices will be consumed. Um, putting so much effort, putting a lot of effort into those things that we've talked about before that really can't have an overall effect of your life. Uh, 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 you know, a real valuable addition to to anything. Do you ever notice that it's interesting here in Isaiah, also in Matthew 7 and Matthew 25, is that these warnings about turning and repenting and worshiping in the way God wants to do are directed to those who self-identify as his people. Mm-hmm. He's not spending his time preaching to people who are like, I got nothing to do with you. Never mind. Forget about it. Those people are, he's kind of like, okay, you made your call, right? Yeah. You, you know what you're choosing. He's talking to people who think that they are God's mm. people who are not God's people. And again, in Matthew 7 and in Matthew 25, people show up and they're like, well, didn't I, didn't I do all the things? Mm. Didn't I do? And Jesus says, like in Matthew 25, is like, no. When when you had a chance to do this for me, it was to the least of these, and you didn't do it. Yeah. Um, so their idea of like, well, we did things. He's like, well, yeah, you did things, but not the things that I asked you to do. And you're not in relationship with me. And this goes through Isaiah here also. Is it's not a lack of people's doing things. It's they are not doing what God asked them to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know what? That kind of, I think that really speaks for us, too, of where, mm, maybe not. I don't know, because we are called, we are called to try to get people to repent or, or, you know, work, work in that system of help trying to get people to repent. But I guess to some degree, though, how much effort do we put into people that we know have just completely rejected, just completely rejected God? And how much do we spin our wheels with it or how or rather how much do we focus on people who are seeking people who are looking for something better and are and have that open mind i think uh, isaiah talks and god talks a lot about that um you know reaching out to people who who you didn't think were in the zone mm. i mean it in isaiah well here we are in 66 21 and god is saying and some of them also i will take for priests and levites so yeah. he, he's going to take people who were not priests and and uh, not even Israelites, if I read this right. And he's going to say, yeah, you can be priests and ministers for, for me. You, you'll become like a Levite. 
And I'm sure to people reading this, they're like, say, what? You can't do that. So God, I believe, is always reaching out. And and you bring up a good point, Matt. And I don't think that that means that as Christians, we shouldn't reach out to people who don't see the beauty in God. I think Mm -hmm. we should be reaching out and inviting people in. But the warnings are aimed towards people here anyways, who claim to know God and who, who just totally, they're not doing what it is that they're supposed to do. I, I think the three angels message again, flashing forward to revelation 14 is a warning to everyone. Hey, there's a creator. Hey, there is a judgment coming um, and worship him. This idea of God being a creator, that there is a judgment coming and he calls for our worship in his way. That's Isaiah. That goes back to it uh, goes back to the gates of Eden, and it goes forward into Revelation. I think it's the same call. Uh, yeah, I, I thank you for bringing that up, Matt, because mm. I wouldn't want me to think or anybody else to think that as Christians and God followers, we're to just abandon those who don't know who God is, because we are called. Mm. But I think that. It, I'm just going to float this to you guys real time that to people who don't understand who God is at all, it's an invitation, but to Mm -hmm. people who claim they know who God is and are totally doing things their own way, it's a warning. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that sounds very valid because we're the ones who should know better and, uh, versus the people who don't know better. Yeah. I think of the Philistines moving the ark, they put the ark on a, on a, ox cart and they put they put golden idols with it right yeah. is it, we're returning the ark none of them were struck dead right you know the israelites put it on a cart and us as like oh, i'm just going to grab hold of this because you know it's it's a box and he gets struck dead and god essentially said and we talked about this in an earlier uh, podcast you sh- you knew better mm-hmm. i'm holding you to a different standard because you did know better yep yeah it kind of it kind of reminds me of the uh, the story of the prodigal son. Like you've got the one who goes charging off into the unknown and is like, I don't want anything to do with you. Give me my inheritance and I'm gone. And then the other one sticks close by his dad's side, but maybe kind of for the wrong reasons. Because yeah. then when his younger brother comes back, he's mad. Yeah. You know. So it's kind of like, not only what are you doing, but why are you doing it? And and yes. is the primary focus to be in correct relationship with your father? Yes. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. I want to make sure we dip into those earlier chapters while we still have an Eric. Yeah, yeah. i got to go here a little bit. But I do want to pinch here at the end of 66, because this fits right with what we're talking. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 66, 18. For I know their works and their thoughts. So God is concerned, I believe, with what we actually do and what we think, what's in our heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. Now, I don't believe that that's universalism, that every that God will force his salvation on everyone, because I believe that if we were forced into a relationship with him when we were basically lobotomized, there wouldn't be free will. Right. I think the invitation is universal, and it's hard to read the New and Old Testament and come away with the idea that everyone chooses that. But his invitation is to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, for sure. Right. And and what he takes responsibility for is showing them his glory. He's going to show them he's God, and then from there, they can make a choice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, the book basically ends then with another glimpse at new heaven and new earth mm-hmm. with some very interesting phraseology here. There's talk about one moon, new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. All flesh will come to worship God. That seems to indicate some passing of time, uh, seems to indicate some uh, institutions that have been put in place by God for us now with uh, that, that idea of the passing of, of months and the Sabbath apparently still being relevant in, uh, in the new earth. So some interesting stuff there. But then there's some interesting, really interesting, and it's only like one verse and not much attention put on it, but uh, going forth to look at corpses of men who have transgressed against me. It says their worm does not die, their fire is not quenched, and they'll be an abhorrence to all flesh. There's a, I don't know, there's a lot, there's a lot in that. I know that that has been pulled out by some to try to indicate what happens to the wicked people after they die. Except Isaiah says they're dead. Yeah, they're dead. Like, so they're, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think some of this, you really have to look at this allegorically anyway, because if you, I can't imagine heaven being a place of joy. If it's also going to be a place where we can look at the corpses of the people who have been God's enemies, see them burning forever and, you know, gross with worms and whatnot. I mean, that just does not sound pleasant to me no. at all. So I think I think a couple of things. One, I think that's it's largely an, uh, an allegorical verse. And two, you need to look at some of the, that wording and and understand what it's really saying, like uh, fire not being quenched. Yeah, I think that that's relevant, but we've got to let the Bible talk about what the Bible has to say about those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jude 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Well, Mm -hmm. there you go. Sodom and Gomorrah are a picture of us or for us of what this eternal fire is to be and sodom and gomorrah is done eternal fire as i understand and i've done some searching here in the bible is fire that can't be put out it's unquenchable it's we i'm right now where i am in the mountains in colorado we had a fire here almost a year ago a little over a year ago and it was unquenchable in the sense that the best you could do was run away there was no putting it out now i'm here a year later it's not still burning Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, wait a minute, how could a fire be unquenchable and still and still not burning? Well, it's possible because it burned until everything it was going to burn burned up and then it was done burning. But while it was burning, there was no putting it out. Yeah, that everything that needs to be consumed is consumed. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, yes, Isaiah does yeah. end in a very. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, and we're like, what? And then it's the well, end. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole thing started out as a warning. Yeah. You know, it was all lots of warning. Uh, you know, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be there's going to be a uh, 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 recompense. There's you know, you will be paying for for sins and you will be paying for the way you've acted against God and against man. And, 
you know, and then at the very end, oh, and by the way, don't forget what I started with, you know. Right. True. Don't forget. It's like the essay. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you. And I'm going to tell you what I told you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that's that's uh, that's the end of Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah for quite a while now. That's uh, I mean, I was just looking at just how much in my Bible, how much of, you know, just in pages uh, of, of my Bible it takes up. And that is a big book. There is so much in Isaiah. And I've really been fascinated studying Isaiah. Uh, I mean, uh, from what I can see, basically the entire gospel is there. Um, <laughs> but um, so anyway, moving on a little bit here, we said we would get into a couple of other chapters to finish out the day. Now, Second Chronicles 32, we said we would read this week. If you read that, you were probably going, we've already read that. And it's true. We we basically read everything already that was in Chronicles 32. It's a recap of the way Sennacherib was boasting against God while he was uh, encamped around Israel and Judah. Talking about, there was a little thing there about how Hezekiah stopped up all the springs so that... Uh, so that Sennacherib wouldn't find good water supplies. But uh, basically, Hezekiah built up some walls and set up captains and encouraged the people. You know, this is when Sennacherib was saying, no, God won't save you. Well, God saved Judah from Sennacherib. So uh, so there's that. And uh, the way that Sennacherib had a really bad concept of who God was because he thought that all of the high places and altars had actually been God's high places and altars. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing. And we've talked about that in previous uh, episodes. But that parallels um, what we're talking about in Isaiah is the mm-hmm. one person's conception of how God wants to be worshipped. You, you can't just do it any old way you want to and say, well, yeah, it's good enough. Mm hmm. Yes, no, can't you can't. <laughs> and Sennacherib had this idea, and not only that, but he was mocking the Israelites, saying, "You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong." Yeah. And then God said, "No, you're doing it right." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, it was a recap of how Sennacherib died. He got he went back to Assyria and got killed by his own sons. There's some talk again here about Hezekiah, uh, how he had been sick and prayed to God. Uh, if I remember right, this is when God said, don't worry, you'll have 15 more years. And Hezekiah said, oh, great. That means it won't happen in my time. So we're good. <laughs> because the way it's put here, it's at Chronicles 32, it says that Hezekiah didn't show proper gratitude. As I think what that's saying is, Hezekiah, yep. come on, man. You should still be you should still be worried that, that the people are going to be uh, uh, not in a great place. But um, but. He he uh, just wasn't concerned with it at the time, and but it does say that he realized that uh, he realized that he had been prideful and humbled himself. Uh, it, there's a little recap of him showing up all of his wealth to the Babylonian ambassadors, which was a really bad move on his part, and ultimately his death when he had been honored by the people of Jerusalem because he had he really had been a pretty good king. But then he got succeeded by his son Manasseh. Second uh, Kings chapter twenty-one and Second Chronicles chapter thirty-three, we get the concept of Manasseh, and uh, Manasseh can't hardly be more different from his dad. Unbelievably, unbelievably bad. Uh, he became king at twelve years old, and uh, to me, I mean, that's already a bad start. But he became king at twelve years old and reigned for fifty-five years. Here's what this guy started doing. He rebuilt high places. He built altars for the Baals. He brought in wooden images. He built altars in the temple. 
He made his sons, it says, pass through the fire. He sacrificed his own sons. He was he was getting into soothsaying and witchcraft and spiritism. He put an image of Asherah in the temple. And it said he, he shed innocent blood all through Jerusalem and just made a general wreck of everything that was there. Yeah, you know what? When I was reading this, I, I look, and if we look on 21.3, who do they compare him to? Probably one of the worst kings ever in Ahab. And he took him right back to that point. Yeah. Is that, you know, we see this over and over again, this peaks and valleys where, and the first thing that usually is said about a king is they get rid of the high places. If they're trying to get back to God, they get rid of the high places. They quit doing incense and Manasseh just went the opposite direction. Completely opposite direction. Unbelievable. I mean, you're just like, you're like, Hezekiah was your dad? I mean, you talk about the commandment of honoring your parents and you look at Manasseh and go, Hezekiah is your father? Are you kidding me? And it said that it, in, in uh, Second Kings, it said that the Lord spoke to Manasseh. Actually, it said it in both of them. And and the prophets tried to they tried to uh, get him to turn around. And he just just doesn't listen at all. Not at all. And. uh Ultimately, he he ends up getting captured by the Assyrian army, which is not interesting. We don't get any talk of any of those battles, but he gets captured by Assyrian uh, the Assyrian army and carried off to Babylon. And then in Babylon, he starts to turn around. He starts realizing in his afflictions that he's only got one place to turn, and. He starts to acknowledge God. He he goes into repentance and acknowledges God. You know, but isn't that just the human part of it? When we're in a bad situation, when we're no longer in control, when somebody else is controlling us, when, you know, the the screws get put to us, that we tend to turn to God. We mm-hmm. realize the error of our ways, and then we want to change and hope that everything looks good. This is exactly what Manasseh did. Yeah. Sometimes it's what it takes. Yeah. You know? No, when you're at your lowest point, who's always there? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, you're like, why did God allow this to happen to me? Well, maybe you needed you know, it. And even, too, just like we were saying a minute ago, your dad was Hezekiah. You know, <laughs> the foundation was there. Just chose to part from it. And, yeah. you know, at this point, now he realizes, okay, I see the error of my ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we're not given any real detail here, but he does end up getting to go back to Jerusalem. Yeah, it's just I think that this is – I'll be honest with uh, the rest of you guys and the listeners. This story of Manasseh kind of made me mad at God for, for, for a long time that Manasseh would do all of these things, shedding innocent blood. I, it doesn't sound like a little bit of it, a lot of it, and and – offering his own sons as sacrifices and basically every single thing that God had ever said, don't do this. He went and did it on purpose. And then he repented. Yay. Then God took him back. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, this is, this guy is wilder than the prodigal son by far. And God, and that's why it puzzles me that people say, well, they can't find grace in the old Testament. I mean, come on, God took Manasseh back yeah, and established him again. And, and I, I guess I went from being mad at God with this to just being in awe 
of a God who has that kind of capacity for grace and realizing that all the great stuff I think I've done and the great things I think I have to offer are really in the context of God scale, not a whole lot better. And it gives me thanks and gives me gratitude that I serve a God who will forgive even a Manasseh. And that is, I mean, that's just like the ultimate story of grace that is so big. It literally took me years to get my head around it. The flip side of that is also true. And that is that all sin is as repulsive to God as this. And I, and mm-hmm. that, that gets tricky to me because I, I spent a long time in the legal field where all sins, right, all wrongs are graded on a scale. And so when I switch over to God's scale of right and wrong and a little white lie carries the same penalty as murder, it sits differently in my head because my hum- my human part wants to be like, well, I've only done these small things. That person over da- there did those huge things. And so clearly my my righteousness is less filthy <laughs> mm. <laughs> to, yeah. use today's, no, I- to use today's words. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? And so so like this story to me is quite the equalizer um, just because. Like sin is sin, wrong is wrong. The penalty is the penalty. Forgiveness yeah. is forgiveness. You know, and that's what I have highlighted here on my notes. It's like it's just it's it's grace to let you know that you know what there you never can fall or never think that you far you've fallen too far that God can't come and rescue you or yeah. forgive you. And you know, it's just it's like Eric was saying. It's a true testament of God's grace. That there's nothing you can do. You know, as long as you're willing to make that step and go back and repent and you're, it's heartfelt and you're willing to move on, then he will meet you with where you're at. Yeah, you know, it's got me thinking of a couple of different things here. You think of, well, you know, Karen was talking about how egregious sin just is in general with God. You know, we tend to think of one sin maybe being worse than another sin. Are we ranking it for ourselves to justify mm-hmm. ourselves? Yeah, I think that's just our. I think that's just our human scale. Honestly, yeah. I think that in in our human earth, in the way that we're living, it's less of a big deal to do this, and it's more of a big deal to do that. And yeah. and we we don't have God's perspective of knowing people's thoughts. And we don't have a long-term perspective of where sin can lead and why you should put your foot down hard at the very entrance of it. Mm -hmm. Talk about a gateway drug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, we live in a society right now. It would seem that some things like uh, adultery, let's put that out there, doesn't seem to be terribly looked down on by our society. Right. Yet it's clearly in the commandments. But then we have sections of society who will act like something like homosexuality is the absolute worst, worst that there ever could be. And it's like, you know, no, you know what? I mean, we'll call it what it is. They're both sin Mm -hmm. um, and they are both destructive. Neither one of them is good for you, you know? And so looking at somebody and going, well, at least I'm not them. You know, I mean, I guess that goes back to the, 
to the to the to, was it the lawyer you know looking at thank you for not making me like all these others you know um sin is sin it's right it's, sin is sin it's so hard to get into the you know here on earth they actually they actually tell you you know to avoid a black and white style of thinking <laughs> because mm. because humans simply can't fit into it yeah. And we pass we pass moral judgment on far too many things that aren't actually moral. They're just our opinion, right? Yeah. But when it comes to God, when it comes to these spiritual matters, there there are only two choices. Yeah. See, I put before you today life and death. Choose life. Right? Yeah. And that's and and sin is the other path. It doesn't matter how small the sin is, it is the other path. So when you come to some somebody like Manasseh, who's just like the walking embodiment of everything horrid you can do. Not only as a human, but as a leader of other humans, mm -hmm. as a ruler in God's chosen people. Oh, it just is so terrible. And it says right there, like the nation followed him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And then God's grace covers all. Yeah. Period. End of story. Yeah. It makes me think of the other side of, of the question here. Imagine if you can, a guy who who had a number tattooed on his arm ends up in heaven and sees Adolf Hitler there. Now, right. I, I personally doubt that that scenario is going to happen, you know, but imagine it did, you know. Wow. I mean, how does, you know, we've, we've got a lot that we have to shed as human beings to be able to accept grace like that from God, you know. So think something like that. Think of the woman who ends up uh, there and, and comes face to face with her rapist. I mean, these, oh, I mean, the uh, grace and forgiveness, uh, you know, I've, t I've talked to one or two women who are like, I don't know how I could ever forgive that guy, you know, uh, and I don't know how, I don't know how you would forgive that guy. I have no idea. You know, but, but I think we look at it still with the hurt and everything that's here on earth. And when we're made whole and we're made new and we're in heaven and we're filled with the hundred percent grace and love of our creator. I think that'll all be gone. Well, it's I, hard for us to fathom that right now. Yeah. With, with our, you know, corrupt spirit and mind, you know, and just the hurts that makes you the person that you are. I think we just can't fathom that right now. Yeah. Well, I, I suspect. Yeah. Go ahead. I suspect that's why at the resurrection, when it says we'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, um, I have a I have a feeling that there will be parts of us that will be repaired, if you will, to be able to accept things like that, to be able to accept God's grace and forgiveness, even for the people that we've just seen as being reprehensible and and irredeemable. Because, I mean, otherwise, how do we how do we end up in the new earth? Like I said, seeing these people that we've we've thought were unsavable and God has saved them. How would we, how would we be able to live with them and by our sides? Um, I, would, I, would, I would say, I would say that by the end of the world, if I'm, if I'm reading the Bible correctly, what I understand is that by the end of the world, my human understanding of sin will become very closely aligned with God's. Obviously, I won't have his perspective. I'm still stuck here. But my perception of sin and how repulsive it is and my love for the sinner and how precious they are 
will become closely aligned with God so that by the time I get to heaven, I would be excited that somebody had found God rather than being dismayed that they weren't being punished. Does that make yeah. sense? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I have the heart of God, the loss of a sinner to their sin, the loss of a fallen brother or sister, the loss of a another sibling of mine in Christ to sin is heartbreaking, not satisfying. And that is a shift in my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that goes back a little bit to talking about um, at the that we were ending up with Isaiah, the idea of it being pleasurable to go see the the tortured bodies of of <laughs> of sinners. Um, that just doesn't seem like that would be something that we would be wanting to do in heaven. So um, I think uh, I think I think yeah, you're right. We have to get to a point where we are so we're so much more in tune with 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 God's concepts that we're we really want to see the redemption and the salvation because because when somebody falls away from that when somebody chooses to step away from that it is through the devil's deception it is mm-hmm. not through them deserving it yeah right and mm-hmm. is it their choice yes it's their choice is it my choice yes it's my choice but i just I think that it, I like to think, let me rephrase that more honestly. I like to think that if I got to heaven and I ran into Adolf Hitler, I would want to hear his story. Mm. How how were you reached? What reached you? What was it that got through? Right? Yeah. And there's a reason that God says vengeance is mine, right? He sees everything. He sees everybody's thoughts as well as the actions that come from those thoughts. And there are a whole lot of thoughts that have been cherished. What is uh what does it say in Psalms? If I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, right? There's more to the picture than what we humans see. So I just I always try to suspend judgment and just keep in mind that it's only here on earth that we have these ambiguous shades of gray assigned to wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I think too what what I kind of hear Karen saying is that, you know, if we are there and we see somebody that we thought shouldn't be there, that we're not interested in his human story. We're we're more interested in his redemption story. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think uh, I mean, I I hope that I'm at a point where if I saw somebody in heaven that I never thought would be there. I would just assume, well, God's got, God knows what's going on. So like you said, Tracy, what happened? How did you get, how did you get turned around? What, you know, what did it take? Uh, And I bet we'll have some fascinating stories to read or or hear, you know, when we're looking down that side of eternity. What a, what an amazing uh, bunch of uh, stories we'll have to hear. And and remember the remember the human saying there, but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. Right. So we all reach the point in our lives where we have to make those decisions, where we have to come face to face with our own ugliness, our own tendencies, and and choose to straighten that out. Choose to take action, to step into God's grace, and to also go and sin no more. Right. Like that happens to all of us in all of our various forms, and. <laughs> I heard a sermon once that said that when we get to heaven, 
uh, we won't uh, spend a whole lot of time looking around and being surprised at who's there because we'll be so surprised that we're there. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. because if, I mean, I know all the thoughts that I've had. I know all the things that I've done and gotten away with and never got caught, right? Mm -hmm. I know all of that. And God knows all of that. And he and I are the only ones that know all of that. <laughs> now I want to hear some Karen stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, we'll all have our stories, you know. Um, and uh, the more we, the more we get fascinated by the concept of re redemption, I think the more we're going to want to hear those stories, and uh, and just know how God worked in their lives to to save people that that we out that we personally would have thought unsavable. I guess moving on here a bit. So Manasseh does turn around when he gets back to uh, Jerusalem. Like I said, I, we don't really find out how he gets there, but he does turn around. He goes in, he takes the, all the stuff out of the temple that he put in there, repairs the altar, makes some offerings, uh, commands Judah to serve God. But unfortunately, I think some of the damage now has already been done again because they 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 started making sacrifices to God, but they started doing it in those high places. So they they're mixing they're mixing the religions again. And like Eric uh, points out all the time, that's just not that's not the way to do it. You can't just do what you want to do. But he tried, and it seems it seems that Manasseh was redeemed, and that's pretty cool. Because when he dies, the people bury him in his own house, and it seems like with some honor. They didn't. Uh, they didn't just chuck him out for the dogs, you know, but um, gave him a little bit of, of honor there. And he gets succeeded by his son Ammon. And there is not much to say in the Bible about Ammon at all, other than he was pretty awful too. Took over at twenty-two years old. He made it a whole whopping two years before he died. He um, got offed because he was so nasty. Yeah, yes. his his own servants killed him just because he was terrible. He was just terrible. And, you know, I suppose it probably wasn't too hard to look at Ammon and go, Manasseh was your, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. During your formative years. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so so uh, there is nothing good to say about, about Ammon. He was just bad, bad, bad. That is basically our reading for this week. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. Boy, I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah was so, so big. It's no wonder how much Isaiah gets quoted down in the New Testament because there was so much said in Isaiah. And then that that cool little redemption story of Manasseh was pretty fascinating. Okay, well, I think that'll wrap up this discussion for for this 100th episode. I'm still I'm just totally jazzed about that, you guys. Hundred episodes, and and, uh, and uh, I don't know. Yay us! <laughs> but uh, no, I don't know. I mean, I hope I hope our listeners uh, that have stuck with us for a hundred episodes. I know there's a few out there. At least um, I hope they can rejoice with us and continue to pray for us. And uh, hopefully, we'll get another ep another another hundred episodes. At least you know. I don't know how many we've got left in us. What was that? Coronavirus. And beyond. Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of why that's not for nothing. You know, we kind of started this at the beginning of a really weird time in Earth's history. And and uh, we've able to, been able to continue through it. And, our, our, you know, the audience is growing slowly but surely with, uh, you know, no no budget for, for, um, for promotion or anything like that. Just uh, very, very grassroots and, and word of mouth and 
I suppose random people picking it up here and there. I don't know, but uh, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, we're all inspired to keep going. I think uh, for no other reason than we are really learning from this for ourselves. And I hope that other people are coming along for the ride too. So, so thanks for being with us for a hundred episodes. Next week, we are going to move on. We are going to look at the entire book of Nahum. I think that's the right way to say it. Nahum, Nahum, N-A-H-U-M. And it's like three chapters long. And then we will look at 2 Kings chapters 22 through 23, as well as 2 Chronicles 34 through 35. Uh, those Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Once again, that's basically overlapping of stories with a little, little more um, uh, uh, detail from one to the other. So that's why I'm going to go ahead and assign that for us for the coming week. Should be some good stuff. While you're reading that and waiting for us, be sure to try to reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can look for us on Facebook, where uh, I post on occasion, not huge into the social media on that aspect, but we are there, so you can look for us there. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. Help us to get this uh, message out to people to understand the character of God better. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.